What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Jesse Strauss. In all of 2023, 1,153 people were shot and killed by police officers in the United States. That's 57 more than in 2022, the previous year, according to the Washington Post. We don't know most of their names. There were no marches, rallies, rebellions, or hashtags for many of them, and for the most part, their families grieve in silence and solitude. It's critical to understand that police killings are just the tip of an egregious iceberg of transgressions against our communities. Law enforcement serves as a militarized occupying army in our neighborhoods. They racially profile, sexually assault, and put our folks in cages. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So on most Thursdays here on Law & Disorder, we start our show with a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and to build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the first week of January 2024. On New Year's Eve in Little Rock, Arkansas, an off-duty officer who was moonlighting as a Walmart security guard shot and killed a man who was suspected of shoplifting. The officer, named Crescent King Sr., was asked by other store security to help detain a 30-year-old man named Benjamin McDaniel, who was suspected of trying to steal some items. Official police sources, which are historically unreliable in describing incidents of police violence, say that McDaniel was wielding a knife and that the off-duty officer pulled a gun and ended McDaniel's life. In an interesting but perhaps unsurprising highlight of how the thin blue line works, to support and protect violent police officers, the local police department is treating the off-duty shooting as we would usually expect an on-duty police shooting to be treated. The officer is on paid administrative leave and reports say that's normal for department protocols. The incident raises a handful of questions, primarily How do police get to receive the normal protocols of a police department while off-duty? If we think about it in the context of our own workplaces, can you imagine doing something wrong outside of work but enjoying the benefits of protective work protocols? It's hard for most of us to put ourselves in those shoes because, let's be real, most of our jobs don't risk the potential of shooting people and being protected for it. That said, The other primary question the incident raises, as always in shoplifting scenarios, like with Banco Brown here in the Bay Area, how can it possibly be worth taking someone's life for suspecting, yes, only suspecting, that they were stealing property? Source, KNWA Fox 24 News. Continuing our conversation about police killing suspected shoplifters last week on Wednesday, December 27th, Portland, Oregon police shot and killed Tyrone Johnson after a call came in that claimed that he had shoplifted. Police alleged that at the time of their shooting, Johnson had a gun. Cassandra Christensen, Johnson's sister, has since spoken publicly about her brother saying he was homeless and struggled off and on with drug use. She said that earlier in December, her brother had been denied services by a local recovery center called the Miracles Club. The Miracles Club confirmed to media that they had denied Johnson support because he had brought a gun to their facility. These stories are complex because in many cases, the nuances of economic deprivation and social alienation have heavy relationships to experiences of violence. As we mourn the loss of Tyrone Johnson, I'd like to allow his death to serve as a reminder that most people are not the perfect victims. 
Some of the people in our neighborhoods have mental health issues and or drug addictions. Some of our neighbors, including Tyrone Johnson, seek help even if they don't do it in the best ways. He supposedly brought a gun with him to the recovery center. That's not great. He's not the perfect victim. I wonder if that experience can encourage us to open up to supporting people who are struggling in ways that make us feel uncomfortable or unsafe. As our social programs are underfunded and police forces are overfunded, it's no surprise that Tyrone Johnson was not able to receive the support that he was actively seeking, and instead, three officers used the tools that they were trained to use. Bullets. And all this, again, after an allegation that he had stolen property from a store. Is it really worth it? Source, KATU Channel 2 News. On Saturday, December 30th, police in Suffolk County, Virginia, shot a 15-year-old girl who they allege was holding weapons. Interesting, in this case, police statements refer to this girl's, quote, weapons, while community members' statements specifically state that she was holding a knife. Before the shooting, the girl's mother was called by a neighbor, telling her that her daughter was struggling with a mental health episode. That neighbor said they tried telling officers that the girl was suffering from a mental health issue and was going through an episode. But soon after, the neighbor called the mother again to tell her the devastating news that her daughter had been shot by police. As is often the case in these scenarios, family members of people in mental health crisis are the experts on how to support them. The girl's grandmother told local news that she believes Suffolk police acted on, quote, poor training and that a mental health specialist should have responded to the scene. The girl's mother is now calling for police body camera footage to be released, but a city spokesperson said that the footage is under investigation and releasing the video to the family is not currently an option. Source 13 Now News, Virginia. The call for release of body camera footage as I just described in this case in Suffolk City, Virginia, is a common one, and unfortunately, a controversial one. A ProPublica investigation from last month found that, quote, body cameras were sold as a tool of police reform, but 10 years later, most of the footage is kept from public view. In these 10 years, taxpayers have spent millions to outfit police officers across the country with body-worn cameras. ProPublica's investigation looked at 101 deaths at the hands of police that occurred in one month of 2022. Those 101 deaths involved 131 law enforcement agencies in 34 states. In 79 of those deaths, ProPublica confirmed that body camera footage existed, but less than half of those images have been released to the families of victims. When they tried to obtain the footage, ProPublica was greeted with a variety of roadblocks, including an attempt by Hillsborough County, Florida police to charge $16,000 for the release of their video. And numerous departments stated their videos could not be released or did not respond whatsoever. The lack of disclosure undermines the promise that equipping police with body cameras would increase transparency around fatal police encounters and hold officers to account for bad or criminal behavior. In ProPublica's words, policymakers rushed to equip the police with cameras, but they often failed to grapple with the fundamental question, who would control the footage? Source, ProPublica. But speaking of body camera footage, is it really who controls the images that has the main impact? Last Friday, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department released 
body camera footage of a police officer shooting a 27-year-old woman after they entered her home responding to a domestic violence call, a call that she made calling the police for protection, which led to her own death. Niani Finlayson was shot and killed in her home in Lancaster, California, after an officer fired four shots at her on December 4th. The L.A. Sheriff's Department said she called the police because she claimed that her boyfriend would not leave her alone, according to the L.A. Sheriff's Department. News reports say that the body camera footage now released shows Finlayson brandishing a knife while yelling at her ex-boyfriend, telling him to leave. Her daughter is heard on the recording saying either he pushed me or he punched me. The release of the body camera footage gives no justice to Niani Finlayson or her daughter, who will now grow up without a mother. A mother who was just doing her best, but unable to protect the family in light of the combined attacks of domestic and police violence. Source, WBAL News Radio. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the first week of January 2024. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland-based musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 90s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our website. That's kpfa.org. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>